Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Today here in Vandalia, the sun is shining, Luke is itching to get to the lake, but I got something good for you, Luke. So. <clears throat> All right, so we've been, uh, we're wrapping up our series uh, called Fear Not, and over the last four weeks, uh, we have seen that we do not need to fear because God is with us in the storm. We uh, saw that we don't need to fear because what we are experiencing is not the end of the story. Uh, we saw that the, the enemy has been defeated and that God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. And in light of these realities, we can live confidently in the way of Jesus. And what we believe about the future should affect how we live our lives today. So since I know, right, that the, that whatever storm I face, God is with me, I don't need to fear, right? No matter what happens today, I know that there is a beautiful future awaiting me. I know, we know that the, the devil doesn't have any power over me anymore. He's been defeated. And we know that because he's omnipotent, right, he's moving history forward for his purposes. And so because of this, right, I can live without fear and I can live steadfastly for him. Not being pushed this way or that by whatever storm or circumstance tries to, to come to push me off course. And there's some storms right now. Right? We're in a pressure cooker here in, in 2020. The, the pandemic and racial tensions and economic difficulties. Uh, a, a pretty divisive election year. On top of all of just the normal difficulties of, of life. right? All these things are very challenging in our lives. And they cause us to want to fear. But in the midst of these realities... We can choose to not live in fear, but to put our trust in Jesus, to put our trust in this powerful God and live steadfastly for him. Our text today is going to come from Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Uh, and he, Jesus says, whoops, that would have been good to put up before. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's a hard teaching, Jesus. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's talking about living steadfastly. Now, one definition of steadfast that I'm going to be using today is to maintain a belief or a course of action in the face of opposition. To stand one's ground. To hold out. To endure. A couple weeks ago, I watched a, a movie with uh, my family called Greyhound. It's only it's with Tom Hanks, great Tom Hanks movie, and uh, and it's only available on Apple TV, unfortunately. But Amber's got a new iPhone, and so we got a year free. Life is good, uh, and so we're watching Greyhound. And the story it's a 90 minute movie, and Tom Hanks plays this World War II Navy captain. And he is uh, escorting this group of, uh, a convoy of, of merchant vessels from the United States to Europe. And apparently in this uh, war of the Atlantic, there was the, the 
kind of the first chunk of the journey when you're near the States, there is, you're close enough for air cover. And then you, once you get to Europe, you could get close enough for air cover to protect you from German U-boats. But there was 48 hours in the middle where you were, uh, just kind of out there on your own. And it was, oh, there's tons. I don't know what there was, like 40 or 50 merchant vessels and then one big Navy ship that, uh, Tom Hanks was on and then two other little guys going around. And it got real bad. <laughs> It was real bad, right? But uh, as they crossed the Atlantic, like uh, uh, Tom Hanks's character, whatever his name was, was steadfast. He's like, I'm not giving up, right? It was bad. Like he could have just turned on the afterburners and just shot across, just like, forget these guys. This is terrible. My, my men are dying. This is all is going to um, heck. And, uh, it, and, uh, and, but he didn't. He was steadfast, right? He stuck with it, even though it cost him a lot. Right? And we are called to be steadfast, to be loyal, to be faithful, to be committed to the way of Jesus and not waver even as the enemy is shooting bombs and torpedoes and missiles at us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. We've been given the victory. Therefore, right, since we have this victory, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. The New King James says there, be steadfast. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We're called to be steadfast, to to let nothing move us. And because of these things we've talked about the last few weeks, the power, the strength, the the intimacy of God, we don't need to be fearful. We have the victory. We can be steadfast. And the the thing is that, as we will see uh, hopefully today, is that steadfastness is a choice that we need to make. And Paul here says, guys, stand firm. Be steadfast. Go for it. You can do it. But the good news, the great news is that, that steadfastness is also a gift. It's not something that we just have to muster up on our own. But I believe, though it's not technically listed in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, was that 22, 23, 24, something in there. Uh, but, you know, there is faithfulness. There is self-control. And I think you could kind of meld those together. That's kind of like steadfastness. <laughs> That worked. It's a good Bible teacher, Mark. Just make it up. It's in there now. I've added it in my Bible, and I think it should be fine. Uh, so, so, but we're called to be steadfast, right? And and so we're we're invited to come to the Lord when we are in need, right? He gives us that stuff, right? When we are lacking love, we don't have to just muster up love. We just go, oh, God, I need you so much. Will you help me to love like you've loved? You know, if we need faithfulness, we don't have to just muster it up. We can come to him and he will give us that fruit. He will birth it in us. He will increase that in our lives. Right? And so we can remember that steadfastness is a choice that we need to make, but it is also a gift that we receive through the Holy Spirit. So turn with me if you want to, or I'll have it up on the, the screen, to Luke 51. And we're going to look at the context of Jesus's 
intense statement that no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So in Luke 9, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. Uh, He's recently sent out the the 12 uh, in the, the last chapter or so to proclaim the kingdom of God with authority and power. And in chapter 10, he's going to send out 72 more of his disciples to do the same. Right. Uh, this is right after the transfiguration. Right? This is right after uh, the disciples are kind of clamoring for position, like who will sit on Jesus's right hand and who's going to sit on his left hand. Right. And he's like, guys, you need to become like little children. Right? And so that is the context. And so he's uh, on his way to Jerusalem. We'll start in verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. We're in chapter 9. Chapter nine Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. Hopefully. <laughs> According to my notes. Uh, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Right? He set his face for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Seems like a good idea. (laughs) But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem. And uh, on the way, they're like, well, we'll stay the night at this town. It's a Samaritan town. Um, and kind of the history there, right, is that the Jews and the Samaritans were bitter rivals. They, they hated one another. And so apparently when the, the disciples get there and like, oh, our rabbi is looking for a place to stay. We're on our way to Jerusalem. They're like, oh, you're going to Jerusalem? Gross. We're not going to help you. Uh, and And so... The disciples get upset. God, do you want uh, Jesus? Do you want us to call fire down? You remember Elijah did that? It was super powerful, right? Oh, it's going to look great, and they'll write about us. It'll be awesome. And so we got to. You know, why, why would they respond like that? Why are they responding with like, well, can we just destroy this place? You know, they were upset that people were opposing Jesus, and that's good. Right? They, they were devoted to this man. They were his disciples. James and John super loved Jesus. They knew that he was the Messiah. You know, just in the, earlier in this chapter, right, he said, who, you know, people say that I'm John or they say I'm Elijah or some other prophet. Who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. Right? They knew who he was. And they wanted everybody else to give him the honor that he deserved. James and John wanted to fight to prove their rightness through the use of power. But Leon Morris in his great little commentary on Luke says, but this does more credit to their zeal and their devotion to Jesus than to their understanding of the nature of Christian service. Jesus rebuked them because overcoming power 
with power is not the way his followers should behave. And so without taking any steps of opposition to the Samaritans, they moved on to another village. Well, I don't like that, Jesus. I would rather destroy the village with fire. We're reminded of of Paul's letter to the Romans where he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So don't take revenge. Don't call down fire. Don't destroy them on the social medias. Oh, this is the worst. I'm going to give them a real bad Yelp review on this, uh, <laughs> this Samaritan village. One star, do not recommend. <laughs> right? But we're called to, to move on, to pursue peace, and to trust God that he will do what he promises to do. Vengeance is the Lord's. And so the steadfast way of Jesus is to live at peace and to not go on the offensive. This is a tough one. As Christ followers, we're actually called to absorb offenses and not retaliate. I think this is part of the the upside-down kingdom. This is part of the way of Jesus that we don't like, that we want to ignore. We go, well, Jesus, that'll probably work great in your coming kingdom, but we have real problems here right now that we should probably overcome with power and influence and military might. Maybe some fire from heaven. If you don't send it, we've got some bombs we can use. (laughs) Right? And so the way of Jesus is tough because it goes against the grain of what is our human nature. Earlier this year, I received a pretty offensive email. And it hurt. And everything inside of me wanted to retaliate, to prove myself, to say, no, this isn't right. Let me show you how you're wrong. And I actually did respond and but first I sent it to Amber and she she as I have learned to do uh, and she's like, OK, I see why you're feeling this. You absolutely cannot send this email. <laughs> oh, OK. OK, good, good. <laughs> it's so good to have somebody like that in your life. Right. And it just proves how much Jesus I still need. Right. Because my my immediate reaction is not to love my enemy. But it's to get revenge. Let me prove myself. Let me bring fire. And if I would have responded out of my kind of initial knee-jerk reaction, I would have destroyed that relationship. But instead, we got together. We talked it out. You know, and we, we worked through it. And now, it's actually great. It's actually fine now. And we have this restored relationship. But if I would have responded with revenge and retaliation, it would have destroyed it. It would have ruined that relationship. I don't know where we would be right now. But we, as Christ followers, need to learn to absorb offense. That is not easy to do. When Jesus was attacked, when he was arrested in the garden, 
right? Peter draws the sword that Jesus told him to go get. So, <laughs> just poor Peter, right? He's like, what am I supposed to do with this sword, Jesus? I don't understand. But he, Peter draws the sword and cuts off the, the, the servant's ear. And Jesus is like, Peter, what are you doing? And he, he rebukes Peter and heals the man. Jesus surrenders to the mob. Then he's taken before the Sanhedrin and he stands silent without defending himself. It's in that laying down of power, of human power, living in humility and trusting in God that ushers in resurrection power, where God brings life out of death, where he brings gardens out of graves. Right? And that's what we want. We want, we want resurrection power at work in our lives, not whatever power we can muster up on our own. So the steadfast way of Jesus, live at peace. And this isn't weakness. This is not ignoring the problems. This is not ignoring the issues, but is a practice of peacemaking that isn't offensive, that isn't taking offense, but coming to the table to seek peace and reconciliation. That's what we see Jesus do. That's a tough teaching, Jesus. I don't like it. In verse 57, the author continues. He says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. As a a church leader, right? if somebody says, I will follow you wherever you go, you just say, fantastic, right? This is where the children's ministry is, right? And this, you know, and this is this is how I like my coffee. I'm really excited about this relationship, right? But Jesus goes a different direction. Now Jesus is fully God, but he's or he's fully man, but he's also fully God, and so he looks into the heart and he recognizes, okay, there's something in this guy's heart that actually needs to be dealt with before he is ready to count the cost and become my disciple. And so Jesus, instead of saying, that's great, come on board, he says, basically where I'm going is not very easy. Nowhere to call home, nowhere to lay your head. Make sure you think this through. Are you really ready to follow? The man had not counted the cost. Because Jesus knew this is not an easy road, right? This is not, I'm just going to say a salvation prayer and then I'm in heaven waiting for, or just waiting for Jesus to come back, right? Like the, the discipleship is, there's a cost to it. I mean, look at that last teaching that we just, just talked about, right? Don't retaliate. Don't take revenge. Turn the other cheek. Well, that stinks, And so what is the cost of following Jesus that we're not counting, that we want to just sweep under the bed? Is it the loving our enemies? That's what Jesus called us to, to love our enemies. And the definition of enemies is people who are actively opposing you. That's hard to do. What don't we like? Do we not like living at peace? Right? Are we not counting the cost of laying down our own rights? Are counting the cost of preferring somebody else as more important 
than ourselves. Jesus has another very hard teaching in chapter 16 of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Because if you want to save your life, you will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So the steadfast way of Jesus means taking up your cross. Picking up the instrument of your own death and walking forward. Like we're so used to that. We're so the cross is great. We love the cross. I'm so happy for the cross. But right when Jesus said this, it would be, you know, like take pick up your electric chair and get moving. Like this is intense. The steadfast way of Jesus means taking up your cross. And finally, we're going to see that the steadfast way of Jesus means choosing the kingdom first. So the narrative continues, and Jesus says to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And this would have been incredibly offensive. If Jesus said this to somebody on the road, their eyes would have got big like saucers and like, what are you even talking about? And we don't know exactly whether this guy's father was dead at the time he was with Jesus or he was just, you know, he was just waiting uh, for his father to, to be buried. Uh, either way, it's offensive because the Jews counted burial as incredibly, incredibly important. And one scholar said this, to leave the father unburied was something scandalous to a Jew. The duty of burial took precedence over the study of the law, the temple service, the killing of the Passover sacrifice, and the observance of circumcision. This is very incredibly important. This was an urgent need to Jewish people. And they're like, Jesus, don't you understand what you're asking me to do to give up this incredibly significant thing? And Jesus says, the demands of the kingdom are more urgent than that. The demands of the kingdom are more significant than this thing you hold up way up here. Jesus, you're crazy. He's not. I was just saying that as an aside. He's not crazy, right? He's the least crazy. So what demands is the kingdom laying on us, right? This is not something that we just do lightly to follow the way of Jesus. You know, there's demands of worship. And I don't want to, see, there's this tension, right? We don't want to fall into legalism, right? We don't want to fall into this, like, I'm not measuring up, what's going on? But this, we want to take a very uh, circumspect understanding that there are demands in the kingdom of God. Demands of worship, setting time apart to, to encounter him, to honor him, to, to encourage the, the, the body of believers that we're part of. There is the demand of service. Right, yesterday, I helped my mom move. Like that is, I think that's the highest level of service. It's, it's one under serving in children's ministry. Right, we need to serve, right? Maybe that's volunteering somewhere or serving here on, at New Day on Sunday mornings. 
There's a, there's a demand on, on our finances. Tithing, right? It's this proper or uh, honoring God with faithful financial stewardship. There's demands of community and discipleship. Making disciples and being discipled. There's demands of living in unity, right? And, and living in humility, pursuing peace. There's a cost to following Jesus, a high cost. But what we get in return is so worth it, right? We get salvation and hope and joy and peace. And really, all the stuff that we're clamoring for in our lives apart from Jesus is what we actually get for real from Him. We need to count the cost to seek first the kingdom. And the... Uh, Jesus, or the Luke goes on. He says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And here's our verse. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Right? There's no room for those who look back who are called to go forward. Keep your hand to the plow. Be steadfast. Waiting expectantly for the Lord, proclaiming the kingdom, working for Him. Right? And this doesn't mean just going out and evangelizing, getting your milk crate and you know, evangelizing on a street corner or whatever. Right? I think that being salt and light just means like we are just living the way of Jesus, living the way of peace is a powerful declaration to our world. Right? And the resurrection power of Jesus works through humility, works through that just steadfastness of living the way of Jesus day in and day out. So it's not easy, like I said, but it's a choice that we make. I'm going to be steadfast, but it's also something we need to receive from the Lord. God, I want to do this. I want to be faithful. I want to be pleasing to you. Lord, help me not to fall into legalism, but help me to run after you with all that I have, all that I am. Help me to be steadfast. And I want to close with this word of encouragement from the author of Hebrews. Who says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. This is the same Greek word that is translated steadfastness. Let's run with steadfastness the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him, He endured. Again, the same Greek word for steadfastness. He was steadfast. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him, Jesus, who endured, who was steadfast. He endured opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We live steadfastly, friends, by throwing off sin and anything that hinders us. We live steadfastly by fixing our eyes on Jesus. We live steadfastly by considering, by thinking carefully about Jesus and how He lived steadfastly, how He endured in the face of offense and in the face of opposition. Because He did it, we can do it.
because we're following him. So what would happen if we lived like this? What would happen if we didn't retaliate, if we didn't seek revenge, if we sought peace and unity? What would happen if we actually loved our enemy, if we actually trusted our Father? Well, I think that if we lived this out, the world would take notice. I think Jesus would be glorified. People would run to the church instead of running away from it. So let's be steadfast. Let's not live in fear. Steadfast living in the way of Jesus, just to recap where we've been, is pursuing peace, taking up our cross, seeking first the kingdom. And let's let it start with me. Let's let it start with us. And we can show the world what a life surrendered to the way of Jesus looks like. And we can see how Jesus uses that to transform our lives, our family, our community, and our nation. All right? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your cross. That you made a way for us to be restored. You redeemed us by your own precious blood. You've now called us sons and daughters. You've called us friends. We have free access into your presence. In the, the veil is torn and we can come into your presence anytime. Thank you. Thank you for the amazing benefits. But Lord, we repent for any way that we have not counted the cost. We repent for anything in, in your teaching that we say, oh, that's not going to be very good for right now. Any way that we've said, well, Jesus, maybe that'll work in your, your kingdom, but it doesn't work here. Lord, help us to be people that are pursuing peace. Help us to take up our cross daily. Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and trust that you are going to add everything that we need to us. Lord, we trust you. We count the cost. And we gladly bend our knee to you, King Jesus. And we steadfastly follow you all of our days. Amen. Amen.